world is noisy, God Whispers, the podcast, is a production of Journeys Revealed Ministries. Glorify the Lord by your life. To learn more about this Catholic nonprofit apostolate, visit the website journeysrevealed.com. And now on with this month's show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The World is Noisy, God Whispers, the podcast. I'm your host, Julia Monin, here for this special mini-series, I suppose you will call it, with guest Alex Wallace, also joining us in the studio, aka office today, is Father Jedediah Tridel, also a, a regular special guest on this podcast. Do you guys realize that? You're the only, uh, you're not the only special guest I've had. But you're two of the three special guests I've ever had, and you're the only ones that have made multiple appearances, so you should feel pretty special. Well, ever since Merv Griffin went off there, I suppose this is the closest we're going to get to being a special guest, on yeah. a, a recurring guest on a show. Yeah. So this will do. This will do. This will do. We'll take it. And, and what, especially Grace, because Father Jedediah, the last time you were on the show, a lot's changed in your life. Can you give us like a recap? Briefly, like you don't have to, you don't have like mind depths with us or anything, <laughs> but, but you were gone and now you're back again. Right. I think the last time I was on was probably a little over a year ago, mm-hmm. Lent of 2022. Mm-hmm. Maybe we did the series on, was that John of the Cross? We did Zealous Musings. Zealous Musings. Okay. Yeah. Carmelite themes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. So after that, my parish assignment finished on June 30th. Uh, I had a couple months, June and July, pardon, July and August of being sort of a free-floating priest. Did a long pilgrimage in Spain in August. Went to a lot of the Carmelite sites, like where uh, where Teresa of Jesus was in religious life at the Incarnation, the first foundation, San Jose. Uh, so a lot of really cool things like that. See where John of the Cross was, where he was buried. Uh, then I spent the following six months, September 12th to March 12th, uh, discerning with the Discalced Carmelite Friars. Uh, so two of those months uh, I was living in the community, and then the, the four months after that were in the postulancy uh, formally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, so then just during that time, discerned to come back to the Archdiocese mm-hmm. and began a temporary assignment April 1st. Mm-hmm. And so April, May, and at the time of this recording, it's mid-May, mm-hmm. so I'll be at my current assignment until the end of June and then start my actual assignment July 1st. Yeah. So yeah, just really just poking around. <laughs> Transient. Wandering. Instability. Right. Ah, yeah. Well, you're being receptive to where the Lord is calling you. And anyway, it's beautiful to have you back. It's beautiful to have you back, honestly. It really is. So back in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And of course, Alex Wallace just joined us for the the last episode as well. Um, you want to give us just a brief intro of where you're at again, too? In case yeah. anybody's just picking up on this one. Sure, totally. So I'm a licensed counselor at Rawwood Psychological Services. Um, we have two locations, and I work at uh, locations just north of Dayton, serving lady, um, clergy, no religious yet, but maybe at some mm-hmm. point. I'm doing um, state-of-the-art psychotherapy that upholds what is true, good, and beautiful about our faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a gift. This is such a treat for me. And this is fun, too, for me because I really just get to play host, sort of, like in terms of like, I'm just going to like be interviewing you and just keeping the conversation going, so to speak. But the topic for today is the difference between confession, 
therapy and spiritual direction. And originally this was going to be a topic that um, Alex and I kind of tackled on our own. And then as we got talking about it and it got closer to record, we thought, hey, it might be good to actually have a priest here who has that that in terms of like what it's like to actually be a confessor and that side of things as well from the confessional. So that's what we're going to be talking about that. What What is that difference? What's the difference between confession, therapy, and spiritual direction? Um yeah. I thought maybe you you needed someone who was in desperate need of confession, spiritual direction, and psychotherapy, and you're like, Father Jedediah. Yes. I'm like, I know this Bring guy who's been all over the place in the past year. Yes. That's a joke. That you need some organizing. Joke. That is a joke. That is absolutely a joke. Yeah. This guy needs his spirits directed back in. We're calling him. No. I. Th- this is going to be a great topic. A great topic, because yeah. so many of us have, have questions about that. So. Sure. Um, before we begin, Alex, would you mind just opening us in, in prayer before yeah, we begin? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, we come to you this day through the sacred heart of your Son and through the immaculate heart of our sorrowful mother as we just ask that you wrap us in your love, that you continue to bless us as you have. We thank you ahead of time for the blessings that are to come. May this podcast and this day be a a blessing to our listeners and may it help us uh, to continue to grow in understanding our roles and the work that we are able to do in serving you and your church. Please hear and answer these prayers according to your will. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Got a little thrown off by that truck outside. <laughs> we are we are in downtown Botkins. Yeah, and you said it's garage sale weekend. It's garage sale weekend. Oh, it's, it's hopping. Oh, it's hopping. It's good, 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 good stuff going on here. To get back on the hunt for that porcelain frog, I've been looking for. Right, hey. today's the day to go looking for that. After this, that's it. After this, this is, is over, we're going. We're taking a walk around town, frog. and we're looking for porcelain frog. <laughs> I'm going to find one today and mail it to you. Okay, we're, we're getting don't. off topic. I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to. Shh. We're moving on. Okay, difference between confession, spiritual direction, and therapy. Let's begin with confession, maybe. Um, most of the people who listen to this podcast, I would say the vast majority, are practicing Catholics, Catholics who are active in their faith and, and frequenting the sacraments regularly. Um so all, trying to like striving to grow in that way of perfection, striving to grow in that path of holiness. So most of our listeners are probably going to confession on a regular basis. Um, so that'll give you some context. But so fill us in on, on just what is happening in that sacrament of confession, what confession is really made for, um, anything that comes to mind regarding the sacrament. Sure. <clears throat> right. So uh, confession, uh, which is formally called the sacrament of penance or the sacrament of reconciliation, it has a number of names. Uh, penance or reconciliation tend to be the, the more commonly used names. Uh, really derives from the authority that only God has to forgive sins. And really we see in the person of Jesus Christ uh, that just as Christ was fully human and fully divine, that in his humanity he forgives sins, which he has the authority to do by virtue of his divinity. Uh, we, we might think of that uh, the, the scene where uh, Jesus heals the man on the stretcher and says, uh, you know, rise, take up your bed and walk. And also your sins are forgiven you. And it says the people around him praised God for having given such authority to men. Mm-hmm. Right. So they see in Christ's humanity that, uh, he is, he is forgiving sins, which he can do because he's divine. And then he passes on this authority, uh, to other men as well 
in uh, in John's gospel after the resurrection, uh, when Jesus sees the apostles, uh, he it says he breathes on them and gives them authority to forgive sins. He says, whoever sins you forgive are forgiven, whoever's you uh, withhold uh, are withheld. And we see that the apostles clearly don't uh, see this as something that ends with them because they lay hands on Matthias. They add to their number. And this is part of what's called apostolic succession, that this, uh, this uh, succession of authority is handed on from the apostles to their successors, uh, the bishops and the priests of the Catholic Church. Uh, we recognize that the, the Orthodox churches as, as being part of this succession as well as having this authority to forgive sins. And so this is a power that comes with uh, ordination mm -hmm. to the priesthood to forgive sins uh, in, in the name of Christ and by the, by the authority of Christ. So, of course, it's only God who forgives sins, and we thank God for giving this authority to, to men as well. Mm -hmm. And so, right, so the sacrament of uh, confession, reconciliation, uh, derives from the authority of Christ. It's something entrusted to the church, and uh, the purpose of the sacrament, first and foremost, is to restore the soul to the state of grace. Uh, if someone is... Uh, has committed a, a serious sin after baptism. We use the word mortal sin because it literally, uh, mors, mortis in Latin means death. You know, a sin that uh, would involve grave matter, so something serious, usually offense directly against one of the commandments, uh, done with full knowledge, so I know this is a direct offense against one of the commandments, and a complete act of the will or a free act of the will. And there, so I know it's a sin, I know this is grave, however I'm going to do it anyway for whatever reason, uh, you know, that, that, that cuts us off from the life of grace. You know, that we, we see that clearly in scripture. We see that in St. Paul, we see that consistently in the life of the church. Uh, and this was a major issue in the early church of, uh, uh, usually murder, adultery, and apostasy were considered almost unforgivable. And so, uh, uh, but thankfully, mm -hmm. blessedly, you know, the Lord gives us a, a sacrament that restores us to mm -hmm. that life of grace. And, you know, as the centuries have gone on, uh, confession went from something that was generally used for extremely serious, again, murder, adultery, apostasy, uh, to something that developed over, over the early centuries into something that was done uh, more personally, more frequently. And part of that was for the benefit of the penitent as well, that, uh, that we're not, uh, we, don't, we don't have an order of penitents standing outside churches asking for people to pray for them until they're absolved at Holy Thursday, like we did, like like at one point was the case in mm. uh, the Roman basilicas in the early church. So yeah, so the the practice of private confession uh, developed over time. This is something that's clearly uh, affirmed and reaffirmed over the centuries in the life of the church. Restores us to the state of grace, uh, and then also uh, it's it's good to, we find in the catechism of the Catholic Church as well. It's good to confess venial sins, smaller sins, and uh, the catechism says that it helps to build our conscience, and so we become we become more mindful of those those small things that can dispose us over time if we don't nip those in the bud they can dispose us over time towards falling into more serious sins so we can bring those to confession as well uh sometimes we call that devotional confession uh and then the lord also gives us the grace in the sacrament to to overcome these things and to pursue virtue so most importantly confession is there to restore us to the state of grace to restore that friendship with christ that is given to us at baptism uh it's there to uh, be, to help us be forgiven from even smaller offenses, smaller sins, 
uh, and help to build our conscience over time, hope to, helps to give us a stronger conscience, and then also uh, not just restoring us to the life of grace, but uh, giving us the grace to pursue greater holiness after mm-hmm. that confession. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's you could say a lot more, but I'm going to stop there. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And for those of you listening, I can't remember the episode off the top of my head, but I will look it up and I'll throw it in the show notes to this episode. I did sit down with... Um, a priest, Father Sean Wilson, one time, maybe a year or so ago on an old episode to actually talk about from a priest's perspective, what's it like to hear confessions? And because and, so often we, we wonder about that as a penitent, you know, or we make a lot of assumptions about what's going on in the priest's mind before before we enter the confessional. So I sat down with him and interviewed him about that. Um, so I will put what episode number that is in, in the show notes here for you that want to dive into that more, that what Father Jedediah is unable to mention today. So then from a therapeutic perspective, um, Alex, like what, what's the purpose of that in a general sense? Um, yeah. and, and your experience with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So therapy or confession? <laughs> Let's start with therapy. <clears throat> yeah. Cause I'm, I'm just loving what father just shared about confession uh-huh. and thinking about the different themes that it plays out, especially within the hearts of the faithful, mm-hmm. um, and that restoration of relationship, right relationship and access to grace that can be so healing. Um, so participation in the sacraments is super helpful, but when people enter into the doors of my office, um, you know, one of the things we are often looking for is what is their experience? What is happening in their lives that makes life a little bit challenging or quite significantly challenging to navigate? We talked previously about really something that's oftentimes at the heart of so much of therapy is an experience of suffering uh, and loneliness and feeling inadequate or unable to navigate that suffering well. And uh, so one of the things that I'm often focusing on within therapy is trying to find, you know, what brings um, a patient to to therapy, um, to receive them well, to give them that access to love that so often they might not experience in their lives due to them distancing from others because mm-hmm. of fear of being hurt or, um, because of um, you know, people actually legitimately you know, hurting them and them feeling unsafe. So giving them like a soft place to land and to stabilize. And then from there, learning about what's happening in their lives, their efforts to resolve that, that dilemma and that trouble, and um, trying to explore other ways in which we can um, address and potentially, God willing, resolve that, those core dilemmas, which are so often existential, um, who am I? What are my relation? Who am I? Who am I into to other people? What is the purpose of life? Um, these things that we, you know, kind of started to explore in our childhood, um, and may and along the way have been um, our exploration has been ruptured through uh, whatever has hurt us, uh, we've struggled with. And um, to give people that space and that freedom and that confidence that with me um, and ultimately with God, they mm-hmm. feel a freedom to explore and reprocess that. Prior to actually us pressing record, Father and I, we were talking about um, just like the beauty of therapy, of being a place where, um, you know, in interpersonal wounds, you had to um, really stuff away your emotions maybe after you were hurt and abused and just kind of had to carry on um, because it wasn't safe enough. And, and so then we get a chance to kind of um, unstuff those emotions and reconnect uh, the thoughts and the experiences to the feelings. And, and you get a chance to, you know, go back and, and really pre-process that, not just with me, but to see where Jesus was too. And that's like super stabilizing, super securing, um, and just leads to a <clears throat> better quality of life 
on the on the other side um mm. so yeah just trying to rightly order uh passions and uh, helping people to walk in the freedom that god desires for them mm-hmm. to experience rightly ordered passions <clears throat> freedom restoring the the soul to its state of grace has been lost by sin is what we're talking about in sacramental confession so then the third topic and then we'll start tying all these together sure. right and i don't let me forget because i especially want to talk about um, you know, um, it's a trap. I think we, a lot of times we fall into when we can't pray away our problems, right? We mm-hmm. know God is a God of all. We know he can heal us. Um, we're going to confession. We're entering into life of prayer, but we just can't pray away these problems. Like, so yeah. when do we know that like, there's another component here that maybe we haven't unpacked, right? Yeah. So for sure, I want to talk about that, but let's go sure. to our third topic before we do spiritual direction. So, okay, so this is what we talked about, what goes on in confession, sacrament of reconciliation. Here's what we've talked about therapeutically, what's going to happen, um, where we, we really enter into these wounds and we, we get breathe fresh life into them, right, and allow the Lord to heal us and restore us and rightly order our passions. So spiritual direction. Father, maybe you can offer that as, as a directee yourself, um, even if you're not someone that's meeting regularly for people as a director, just as a directee, and, and what does Holy Mother Church uh, the wisdom there with uh, what is spiritual direction at its best. Sure. And maybe you could elaborate on this too, since sure. part of what you do or a good bit of what you do at Journeys Revealed is to walk with people sure. in their spiritual life, help, mm-hmm. them, help them tell their stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, right. So spiritual direction, it kind of depends on who you ask. Yep. <laughs> and that can be a very, uh, not controversial, maybe controversial, but there, there's a lot of ways of speaking about spiritual direction. Usually, mm-hmm. I have found when someone asks for spiritual direction, they are asking for usually a priest to help them kind of talk through some issues in their life of prayer, maybe their life of practice of the sacraments, maybe recommend some spiritual reading, things like that. And I think generally in our era, our contemporary era, uh, that tends to be how spiritual direction is talked about, that it's uh, uh, whether a priest or really, really anyone who is who is faithful with a good prayer life mm-hmm. you know so really anyone who's uh walking that path of, mm-hmm. of virtue and on that way of perfection uh have it, like being in a being in a relationship with someone where you're helping them uh basically be a spiritual sounding board and help them maybe discern uh vocational kind of issues maybe uh look at uh issues of their life from a spiritual standpoint you know maybe uh, of course, help them grow in the spiritual life. Hey, what are some things to think about? What are some things maybe you're missing? You know, recommend good spiritual reading, things things like that. Mm-hmm. So like, it, there's a pretty wide uh, range of uh, ways that one could go about spiritual direction. Maybe more traditionally, uh, when we if we one sees, if you're reading, let's say, Story of a Soul, or even the older than that, you know, maybe Saint Teresa of Avila, uh, other 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 writers in the church's tradition who speak a lot about. Uh, their spiritual directors or confessors in in those kind of contexts uh, spiritual direction was uh, was generally used as uh, really a very authoritative voice in the life of convents monasteries religious houses where your spiritual director would uh, basically every every movement of your soul you know every movement of your of your heart the things you're thinking about praying about you would submit to this director and they would say you know maybe something along the lines of uh, yes, this is good. Keep pursuing this, or no, this seems to be kind of delusional. Don't keep going down this road. Uh, the spiritual director might be someone who tells the nun or the the lay faithful how, how often they can and should receive Holy Communion. You know, because this is before frequent communion was 
more commonly practiced under Pope Saint Pius X. You know, so uh, so sometimes they'd be the person you'd go to to ask to receive Holy Communion on a particular feast day or a particular mass, things like that. And so, like, so the spiritual director had a much more authoritative voice, and especially in religious life, especially cloistered religious life, uh, basically to have someone you could trust to be, ideally, if they're if they're learned and virtuous, to be the voice of God in your life. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, so sort of a almost the role of a spiritual superior. Mm. That's not an appropriate relationship for most people to have with their spiritual director. That is an appropriate relationship in certain circumstances, and that absolutely uh, is still part of the life of the church in certain circumstances, perhaps more in cloistered religious life, uh, maybe more uh, intensive life lives mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but yeah, by and large, the spiritual direction tends to be uh, going going to the wisdom of someone else who you trust, who is walking with the Lord, and who can help you walk with the Lord uh, more effectively mm-hmm. and, and better. And it's not just uh, reserved to priests. Like uh, the church asks priests to to be spiritual directors to make time for that. Um, it can be, unfortunately, it can be hard to find uh, maybe priests who are willing to do that. I say that as a priest, you know, who are willing to do that and maybe and capable mm-hmm. of doing that well, you mm-hmm. know, and because it, it does require being familiar with the tradition, you know, and not just being familiar with my own experience of prayer, but, you know, how has, how have the doctors of the church, the, the spiritual writers over the centuries, how do they talk about the life of prayer? How does the church talk about the life of prayer uh, currently in the catechism and other works? Um, actually, Rome has a, a, a vade mecum, like a little handbook for confessors that talks about, it's also a guidebook for spiritual direction, um, things like that. So the church asks all priests to, to be available for spiritual direction. And even in, there's a, a uh, examination of conscience for priests on the USCCB's website, kind of rooted in an older examination of conscience for priests. And one of the examinations is, do I make adequate time for spiritual direction? So this is not something that should just be the role of specialists, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's clear that Holy Mother Church asks priests to make this, to make this a central part of our life because we are supposed to be spiritual fathers. And, you know, what kind of father is not there to answer questions of his children? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. a, a delinquent father mm. yeah. uh, and on, at the same time uh, we look at the desert fathers you know maybe the tradition of spiritual direction really be, uh, got off the ground in the way we understand it with the desert fathers desert mothers and they were not ordained you know mm. they were by and large they were hermits uh, they were lay men and women who went out to the desert lived really intense lives of prayer and people were like hey these these guys know what's going on you know I should ask them about my life of prayer mm. so uh, yeah so spiritual direction is not a charism that is uh the ethic or exclusive that exclusively belongs to the clergy and you know some of the best spiritual conversations i've had with people are with lay faithful uh with uh, religious and priests and it's not it's not just relegated to the clergy so yeah yeah maybe yeah. that makes the answer even more confusing no <laughs> what is spiritual no. direction well what isn't spiritual direction? No, that's 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 really good and from from that perspective of um from my own experience of being a directee and then sitting in that role as just a companion who's walking with somebody sort of in that quote unquote role as a, as the director. Um, it, it sometimes it's just, but it's simply, it's just really helpful to have an outside perspective. You know, when we're looking at our lives, when we're walking with the Lord, when we're growing in our life of prayer, when we're discerning certain things. And that was why I, why I saw spiritual direction to begin with way back when was when I was really in that discernment of, am I really supposed to turn my journal into a book? Like that's mm-hmm. insane. Like, mm-hmm. and that wasn't a decision I was willing to make by my own prayer and by my own thought. Um, so I was really seeking counsel with that. And that was the first time I saw it. A director was at that time. But anyway, to just have that, you know, when we look at our life, 
lives, when we look at our lives of prayer, when we're wondering about what God is doing, we're looking at our lives really close up, right? Like we're, we're looking at the page and it is right in front of our nose. Sure. And sometimes we just need that that safe place to land, like you so beautifully put it earlier, Alex, where sure. we can we can talk about what's going on and we can take a perspective that's that's more of a helicopter view. Yeah. Um, and we can have somebody who we trust, who we know is walking in their, their own life of prayer and walking in, growing in the virtues, especially humility, who can look at that from that perspective too. Yeah. Um, and, and so it gives, you know, give the Holy Spirit a little bit room to breathe and, and yeah. help really just discern where is the Holy Spirit guiding in this. Of course, you do have to have knowledge of, of tradition and, and all of this and because there can be wackadoodle things that we can convince ourselves that the Lord is asking us to do or not do or, or those certain things. So we So to have that perspective, that's like, now hold on, let's look at this from all aspects is incredibly helpful. Um, Alex, I handed you my catechism earlier. Would you mind reading paragraph 2690? 2690. Yeah, Yeah. 2690. And that um, will give us a little bit about spiritual direction um, and and some wisdom from St. John of the Cross, which, um, you know, if you've listened to this podcast regularly, Father Jedediah and I did a whole series on St. John of the Cross. Um, But Master of the spiritual life, yeah. Would you agree? St. John of the Cross, Father Jedediah. Oh, I would agree. I would agree, yeah. <laughs> um, and gives us a lot of solid advice, too, about like how to actually, um, I guess, dangers of, of allowing, opening sure. up your soul to maybe somebody who um, isn't capable of sure. directing and guarding it. Anyway, so paragraph 2690. Yeah. The Holy Spirit gives to certain of the faithful the gifts of wisdom, faith, and discernment for the sake of this common good, which is prayer spiritual direction. Men and women so endowed are true servants of the living tradition of prayer. And there's a quote, according to St. John of the Cross, the person wishing to advance towards perfection should, should, quote, take care into whose hands he entrusts himself. For as the master is, so will the disciple be. And as the father is, so will be the son, end quote. And further, quote, in addition to being learned and discreet, a director should be experienced. If the spiritual director has no experience of the spiritual life, he will be incapable of leading into it the souls whom God is calling to it, and he will not even understand them. So we could talk about this for a while, I think, but one question I think we should just answer right away is... Um, do you have to have a spiritual director in order to advance in the path of holiness and grow in the life of prayer? My answer would be no. Is that the right answer? I would say no with, with two asterisks. Okay. Asterisks. Sure. Uh, (laughs) Besides the no. So I would say by and large, does someone have to have a formal relationship with someone who they go to with every every movement of the soul. And mm-hmm. when I want to say movement of the soul, I mean like where's where are our passions, emotions, our thoughts, our prayers, how's the Lord working in my life? That's that's what I mean by movements movements of the soul. So those those interior movements of whatever origin mm-hmm. that we have. Do I have to have someone to go to with every one of those? No, by and large one does not. Mm-hmm. Uh, should one have at the very least friends who are walking along the way to be able to get out of one's own head? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know that's mm-hmm. Being in our own heads a dangerous place to be twenty four seven. And on the other hand, if uh, so, if a person is in is discerning a religious vocation, is discerning the priestly vocation, if a person is in seminary or is in religious formation, uh, if a person is discerning you know a secular order, things where you know the spiritual life are very central to that life, then by and large, yes, one should have a spiritual director mm-hmm. and should have one 
have a regular, at least a regular confessor, a regular spiritual director that they can go to for counsel and advice. Even And if one is in seminary or religious formation, uh, I think pretty much anywhere they would be assigned or we would be allowed to choose a, uh, a director, but they would always have a director. Mm-hmm. And even even if that person is the, 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 the postulant director or novice mistress, things like that, you would have someone you're going to who's an authoritative spiritual voice in your life. So yes, there are people who, who must have mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, spiritual direction since they are mm-hmm. striving to grow in the spiritual life. And I'd say if, uh, yeah, as one, as one grows, you know, and especially if one, if one is attentive to the life of prayer and is faithful to the life of prayer daily and is striving to live a holy life, then there will be, there will come, it's not if, but when there will come dryness, uh, desolation, to use the Ignatian, Ignatian term, but, uh, there will be periods of darkness in that life of prayer and having someone who is experienced in the life of prayer, whether or not they have a degree as a spiritual director, having someone in your life who is also a practitioner of the interior life to walk with you through that, I would say is extremely important. Mm-hmm. So you don't think, because then the question would be, well, am I doing something wrong? And yeah. is my life falling apart? Is, is my prayer life mm-hmm. terrible? You know, what's, why am I, uh, you know, why do I feel like this? When in fact, you know, those periods of darkness, desolation, feeling far from God are times of great growth, but mm-hmm. we need someone else in our life to help us see that. So mm-hmm. those are the two asterisks. Sure. You yeah. Know, one, if you're in some kind of religious uh, formation, mm-hmm. whether in a secular order, priesthood, religious life, yes, you need a spiritual director. If you're advancing in the interior life, growing closer to God and experiencing the growth that is common in the life of the soul, then having someone to kind of help direct you, I think is very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I would, and even to kind of extend that a little bit, Julia, you and I were talking last time about the false perception of connectedness that comes through set, uh, social media and sure. technology. And so having a relationship with someone um, really that's flesh and blood, intimate, unique to you, and not just like a, um, a relationship with uh, a YouTube influencer, right, who directs what general populations should do, and you feel like that applies directly to your life, or um, having people that you just may text with or follow social media posts or something like that, but it's having that intimate, personal relationship with someone who knows uh, what your experience is um, uh, to extend that uh, that uniqueness and that companionship, yeah, I think is definitely necessary. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know uh, I used to be on reddit i'm not anymore yeah it's a it's a i think a common i'll, I'll look at these maybe some of the the catholic pages on there every now and again sure. just to see what are people online talking about yeah and by and large so many posts or questions is this a sin or is yeah uh, i did this am i unforgivable now or right. i did this is my spiritual life falling apart and yeah. it's like my gosh these are these are questions for a priest you trust or even mm-hmm. just a real flesh and blood person in your life who you Amen. can trust and, you know, especially if there are issues of scrupulosity, you know, religious OCD, things like that, that's not going to be fixed online. Right. And that's not going to be fixed by people who don't know you and your situation and your soul, you know. And so whether that's whether that is a, a priest in spiritual direction, whether that's a trusted friend, whether that's a counselor, whatever that might yeah. be. Uh, yeah. Real people. Yeah. Real flesh and blood. People who know you and can speak to your situation. Uh, personally is, yeah. is very important. Yeah. Thank Whether you. that constitutes a formal spiritual direction relationship, 
or not. Yeah, Correct. well, we're, we're made to be in communion with one another. I mean, yeah. go back. We, we kept go, doing that in the last episode. Yeah. Kept going back to the beginning, didn't we? Mm-hmm. With Adam and Eve. Like, go back to the beginning. We're made to be in communion with one another. And so we can't journey alone, right, yeah. um, to have these people walk with us. So, okay. So I'm going to change topic just a little bit. I'll remind listeners, these episodes, when I have guests, tend to be a little longer. So if you need to pause, pause. We can come back. Um, this would be a good place to pause. I'm going to switch directions just a little bit. You mentioned... Um, not sure if you said you realize what you said or not, but you said scrupulosity. So usually not. <laughs> so you said you mentioned scruples, right, and having that, and then you kind of quoted that as being quote unquote religious OCD, right? Religious obsessive compulsive disorder. So we're talking about again the difference between confession, spiritual direction, and therapy, and you kind of just make, gave me a perfect segue. So let's take it. So because we talk about scruples from a spiritual perspective, what is that? And we will define that here in a second. But we can to look at it like, okay, that could be like saying religious OCD. Okay, well, what is OCD from a psychological perspective, obsessive compulsive disorder. And this will kind of lead us into our discussion of why sometimes we can't just pray things away. Like mm. these, these can seem like they're the, they're the same thing scruples and religious OCD, so to speak. Um, and maybe in some situations, they have a they have the same root and that, that's bearing forth. But sometimes like, there's a psychological component, a psychological disease, a psychological illness, the OCD, for example. Yeah. And so I have these scruples and I just can't shake them. And I, and I go to confession, I'm confessing it and I, and I want to be uprooted and I'm trying to pray it away, but there's, it's still there. Right. And so I'm a scrupulous person. I've always been, well, maybe there is that psychological component there of something like obsessive compulsive disorder. So sure. can we talk about that just a little bit and unpack that a little bit of like from a spiritual perspective, what, and this is just one example. We could do mm-hmm. this with a lot of different examples, but yeah. from a spiritual perspective, what would something like, like scruples be from a psychological perspective, OCD, and how and how and how how do we need to navigate that from different perspectives sometimes? And then, um, do we know how practically we can maybe know that? Mm-hmm. Like, if we've we've reached a, a standstill where we can't push through this barrier anymore, how do we know we need to seek therapy, or sure. maybe we need some extra time in spiritual direction? Kind of talking. Because someone battling with scruples might need an authoritative voice, right, in a regular confessor or something like that. Um, so anyway, I don't know which one of you want to take the ball, but yeah, let me kind of take it for sixty seconds and yeah. pass it on. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And you can kind of take it yeah. deeper on the yeah. psychological level. I'm excited. Right. So I think that's a great example uh, because probably someone who is yeah suffering from whether it's a bout of scruples. B O U T, not about, but just mm-hmm. a space about, about mm-hmm. yeah, of scruples, mm-hmm. right? Which uh, can be a common thing, especially if someone is taking the faith seriously for the first time, really trying to figure out, okay, how am I supposed to live? We can we can kind of overform our conscience while we're doing that, and that's mm-hmm. that's a common that's a common thing that people experience. So that's you know, do not despair if you are that person, mm-hmm. uh, and it's helping to form our conscience in a healthy way. So mm-hmm. that's okay, uh, but. Let's say, right, the person who comes in and, you know, as soon as they leave confession, they have a thought that they have to run back to confession, right? A real cross that some people bear. And if that's you, you are not alone. Mm -hmm. There are many, many, many people in the church Mm. and and really in the history of the church that suffer from scrupulosity, whether it's for a short amount of time or even, even for a very long amount of time. So that's not an uncommon thing. And the first person they might go to is the confessor, sure. the priest. You know, they're probably not thinking like, "Oh, what what I need is a uh, you know twelve sessions of cognitive behavioral therapy to help sort this stuff out." <laughs> sure. No, they're probably going to come into confession. You know, it's been father, it's been 
10 hours since my last confession. Mm -hmm. And that's an extreme kind of case mm -hmm. where that very well might be the case. And of course, you know, so as, as the confessor, I'm, I'm going to, uh, it is from different, different priests I've talked to different books on the topic I've read, you know, be very gentle, you know, not, not be patronizing of course, but okay. Simple penances that I know this person can do and not worry is because if I say, okay, one decade of the rosary, well, father, the, the Dominican rosary, the Brigantine rosary, which, which, which rosary, the, the seven sorrows. Okay. Go. I want you to go. I want you to pray in front of me right now, one mm -hmm. hail Mary, and mm -hmm. I will tell you that you've accomplished your penance. So like mm -hmm. sometimes it might be that serious with someone mm -hmm. sure so yeah be immersed with that person uh helping them have a penance they can accomplish then uh you know taking that a step deeper which would be more maybe more the spiritual direction type uh type of counseling of recommending that this person we might talk a little bit of like hey okay how, how long have you been kind of dealing with how, how long have confessions been difficult for you like that yeah. let's put it that way like is yeah. do, you, do you normally find confessions difficult or do you mm -hmm. normally find penances difficult and then kind of talk mm -hmm. about that of okay it'd be good to have a, a regular confessor again someone who knows you and your situation and the things you are struggling with they can they can see when you are making progress or when you are kind of falling back into this uh so ha yeah having that regular confessor is going to be really important uh you know meeting regularly is going to be really important and 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 listening and trusting that confessor so having a, a trusting relationship is going to be super important that I can trust that this, this priest, when he tells me that's not a sin, I can simply trust and say, okay, that's what father told me. Mm. And we move on, mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, so just having the regular, regular confessor, regular advice, that personal relationship there uh, is a very important thing. And so then for some people, it might be, it might be serious enough where it's not just a, a about of scruples or a kind of a spiritual malady for a time being or a temptation because that, that can certainly there can certainly be purely spiritual motivations for these kind of things uh but yeah let's say they are that person that you know every intrusive thought you know every uh obsessive kind of action is mm -hmm. for them they're now worried that they're condemned to hell forever yeah. you know mm -hmm. and, and maybe i recommend them out to a counselor yeah where do they go from there yeah mm -hmm. that's a really beautiful question i love the part particularly how you reinforced having a regular confessor that kind of knows their context because it's really important towards building that security and that relationship with someone else who they can uniquely trust which we so often can see where someone might um, go to various confessors um, seeking uh, seeking advice because they lack the confidence kind of within themselves to trust what's happening within their experience. And that's, that's generally where what I try to receive and receive someone at is that when, when we're going to confession or we're going to others for advice, um, even, even, yeah, we're participating in the sacraments. Like so often we're not allowing ourselves when we're have those experiences of OCD. So real pause, just pause for a mm -hmm. second. So OCD, I think it's important to kind of talk about. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of having this overwhelming experience in, in your mind and your body. That's kind of quite repetitive, um, can be quite overwhelming and feeling a need to constantly do something, um, to, uh, rectify that or even to prevent something significant from happening so if it's a deep fear of uh, someone maybe um, breaking into my home I might check my door 20 30 times uh, before I leave the house and then having a very unique pattern at which to do this um, and that has to go be go through every single time a very particular plan 
and that if something messes up with that plan, I kind of have to start all over. That could be like a sign that might be going through OCD. If you check your door like once or twice, that's not OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's one of these things where it's like there's just this perception of fear, and I'm trying to neutralize that fear. I'm trying to neutralize that threat. I'm trying to set myself up for safety, set myself up for success. But everything kind of exists outside of me. There's a pattern of behaviors that I have to do that are outside of me. There are people that I have to get advice from to tell me what I should think, feel, and believe that I can't trust my experience. And so when mm. somebody comes with OCD, they um, we work, the first kind of mode of therapy that's really, really helpful is something called exposure and response prevention. And so basically you invite someone into that space where they feel uh, this deep compulsion, like I've got to do this thing. And you invite them just to remain calm and peaceful, to notice the thoughts that are going through their mind and to not react to it. And what happens is that someone starts to become uh, desensitized to the idea that like, oh, if I don't do this, like things are going to be okay. Um, and so you you prevent that response and you help this person grow in internal security, that the world is not as tumultuous as I perceive it to be, that I'm okay, that I can handle it, and that I'll be fine. And what that security does, it's so beautiful, is then when we start to come to that to the sacraments, when we start to participate deeper in this relationship with God, is then we actually allow him to become more of who he is he wants to be for us rather than a fixer rather than the source of that immediate set me free rather than whatever it is like we get to let him be him because we get to be more fully who we are in that security within ourselves um and so that's that's how i would kind of navigate that relationship uh, with ocd and and trying to help someone grow in that self-confidence that inner healing that security so that i can come to the lord and he can speak to me as I truly am, and not in this perception that I'm bad, that the world's unsafe, that I'm ashamed of who I am, whatever it is, but he can really speak into my heart. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, like you said, then in turn really helps the uh, say the experience, but just the, the action of entering into the church's sacramental life as well. Yeah. Because if I'm going to confession every day because I am absolutely petrified that every, let's say, every sexual thought I have is no matter how mild yeah. is uh is a mortal sin all right that's a that's not a great view of god that's a terrible view of god's right. mercy you know it's a yeah. terrible view of his goodness and it leads to a really distorted view of the sacrament because then the sacrament basically just becomes uh something that prevents me from going to hell yeah. and it's almost like a, a fear a fearsome kind of look at the sacrament where it's like oh man if i if i don't get my confession in this this hour uh, you know, it's I'm done for, as opposed to yeah. a place where God has invited me back into mm. communion with Him, a place where the the Father goes out running to welcome the prodigal son yeah. back to His house, mm. and it, instead it becomes yeah something something fearful, something uh, kind of obsessive, and yeah, that's just not that's not a healthy understanding of God. It's not a healthy understanding of the life of grace of the life of the church, and in a sense, it kind of. It, it, it's not a healthy understanding of of sin, either, because yeah. one could say, "Well, well, Father, you're just being too lax with sin." It's like, no, no, no. Remember, there there has to be an act of the will mm. with sin. You know, mm. just because I have a thought, like like you said, just because something's running through my mind, that does not mean the world's going to fall apart around me. Right. All that means is something's running through my mind. Yes, and I can't. I there is no switch on my body to turn my brain off. You know, that yeah. thing fires when I'm asleep, when I'm awake. <laughs> 
uh, when I'm doing whatever, you know, I can't do anything about that. I can right. try to keep custody of my thoughts by watching what I'm letting into my mind, the mm. entertainment I'm consuming, things like that. But the brain works how the brain works. Like, mm-hmm. come on, mm-hmm. you know? And so mm-hmm. uh, just because one has a thought, that does not mean that you are consenting to that thought. Even that thought, even that mindset of like, well, I don't know if I consented to that thought or not. <laughs> Look, you had a thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you do anything with that? No. Mm-hmm. No. Then you move on with the day. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, and when there is, when those thoughts or temptations lead us to sin, mm-hmm. well, then it helps us to also clear our mind and say, okay, I recognize, you know, where was my heart during that time? What are the things yeah. I'm allowing into my life? What kind of occasions of sin am I exposing myself to? Yeah. And where am I weak? Uh, like, where do I find myself in a weak point, whether I'm, you know, hungry, tired, lonely, isolated, whatever that might be, that became a sort that became an occasion where that temptation turned into a sin, where sure. I consented to that and actually sinned. Okay. Well, then we bring that to confession. We talk about that and that's growing in the life of virtue. That's, right. that's normal religious practice. That's yeah. a good thing. Frequent confession is a good thing. You know, yeah. uh, obsessive confession is a harmful thing. Yeah. And yeah, it sounds like maybe the confessor might be the one to help send someone to the, the counselor, the therapist, who in turn helps them to have better, just better ways of thinking about these things and, and handling these things, which in turn makes them enter into the sacramental life in a healthier, more integral kind of way. So these things Amen. work together. Absolutely. You mentioned the word um, obsession. And I think that that's a good word to kind of keep in mind. We're talking about obsessive compulsive disorder. You're talking about perhaps using the sacrament of confession as an obsession. And somebody, a friar giving a retreat I attended once, put it really simply. And like the second obsession enters the picture, it's become about you in mm-hmm. some way. And it's actually, that it's very simplistic, but it's become a, a, a very easy tool to like put into practical use in my own life. Um, you know, okay. And it can be not necessarily about confession or sin or anything like that, but just obsessing about anything, anything that's going on, you know, things looking a certain way or a word I said in a podcast, you know, obsessing about, oh, that that two seconds, I, you know, I can realize it. It happens in a lot of mm-hmm. things. So that might just be a practical tool for listeners to kind of put in their pocket. Like, remember that the second it's become obsession. Now there might be a psychological component. There might be a spiritual component. Um, might just be the mind is doing what it's doing, you know, because we're human beings and we have physical selves as well but when you notice that oh okay this just became obsession um take a second to take a breath and Mm -hmm. and allow the lord Mm -hmm. to to reorder your passions there right Mm -hmm. allow humility to enter into the picture go Mm -hmm. back to the merciful father the truth that god is a merciful god a good god a good father right and there's no no need to to give into this obsession so that's just a practical tool to keep in mind Mm -hmm. um Okay. This has come up a little a little bit as we've been talking in, in the different sections. And by the way, listeners, if you want to pause again, this would be a great place to do it and come back. But we've talked about from a spiritual perspective, and really we were talking about this in the bonus features that are not on the mics. But anyway, before we started recording, but we were talking about um, returning to a place, purifying the memory, right? When as, as a spiritual component, when we enter into the life of prayer, when the Lord is growing us in this life of prayer, when we're growing in our union and our likeness with him, um, things need to be purified. Our memory, our intellect, and our will all needs to come to a place of, of greater purity. Um, John of the Cross writes about this a lot in his writings. We've talked about this on past podcasts as well. But in a particular way, when the Lord is purifying the memory, what's going on with that and and having these these random thoughts of past experiences. And, and from a psychological component, you've mentioned it, like 
part of what you do with with people when you're walking with them and you're sitting down with them is emotionally going back to that place um, and going back to that place of, of great hurt or going back to that place and let's experience this for what it is. Let's invite Christ into this situation because he was there and let's actually find out the truth that's here because we adapt. Yeah. This this terrible thing happened or this, maybe it was a terrible thing I did, right? A memory and and we, we have emotions that get attached to those memories. We don't see them as black and white because mm-hmm. we're emotional beings. And it keeps reminding me of... Um, the book or the movie that came out several a few years ago of the shack did you guys see that movie or i've read the book read the book no crazy that's okay i'm shaking my head but we're not on video yeah (laughs) no i have not read or seen the shack well the 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 essence is this this terrible thing happened to this father right Mm -hmm. his his daughter was was raped and murdered and and so obviously there's trauma and psychological trauma and um and where it happened is this shack right? Yeah. Not to like have a spoiler alert, but in the story, God invites this man goes, he has a, a mental breakdown quite understandably. Sure. Right. And it's affecting all his children who are still living and his wife and his marriage and his entire life. Yes. Good reason that yeah. it is. But the prayerfully, the, the Lord invites him back to the place of the encounter, the mm-hmm. shack, go back to the shack where it happened. And of course this man wants nothing to do with that. I'm not going back there. Type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in the movie, eventually God, uh, God, you know, calls him back to this place of encounter and he's able to process what happened and and finds greater freedom and healing. And, and these wounds, which are deep wounds, sure. um, become resurrected in yeah. a way and used for for God's greater glory. Right. Sure. Um, and so I keep remind, be, being reminded of that, like just that reality. And that's sort of what what happens too with a good therapist. Right. Yeah. We can go back to these places and it can happen in the life of prayer, too. Sure. As the Lord is purifying your memory, you might have things come up in your life of prayer where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not thinking about that. That's a terrible, you know, mm-hmm. that, that fear comes up and we we close ourselves off to even entering there prayerfully with with god with with the person of jesus you know we're ashamed of it or whatever we don't want to go back there but how important that is to the life of healing whether it's a purification of the memory or whether it's psychological healing or 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 whatever it might be um wow that's difficult to navigate on our own and so incredibly hard to do so from from your perspective from what you work with in clients with clients like returning to that place of of original hurt and allowing god's God's mercy and peace to kind of enter into that. Um, Can you speak to a little bit of that? Yeah, absolutely. So like um, in theory, like right, the the relationship with God is supposed to be so stabilizing, but even then, like if we have relational wounds um, from fathers or from superiors, it could be really hard to see God as a secure, you know, beautiful connection, Mm -hmm. but really he is right. And he works in so many beautiful ways with his grace. Thanks be to God. Um, But when I, when I have those moments where people are experiencing those wounds that they can identify, or even in this case where someone is struggling with OCD, Mm -hmm. right? Um, one of the things that's been deeply influential to me is instead of kind of coming in and, and helping someone to um, calm those thoughts and, and just, um, kind of shush them away is to say like, where did those, where did those, uh, those behaviors and that obsessiveness, like, where did that become really helpful? right? Mm. Because these are our failed attempts at trying to be free. Um, and there was something at some point where I like maybe started to realize that like, Oh, um, my dad's gonna be really, really upset. Um, and so I need to like make sure he's not upset. So I need to like clean a house and all the things like perfectly. And then God willing, he won't be upset with me Mm. or maybe even potentially he could be proud of me. 
Maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then I become really, really focused on making sure these things never happen. Or maybe I did something that I'm like super deeply ashamed of. Mm-hmm. I let myself um, into a relationship with someone and I did uh, sexual behavior with them that I'm not, not uh, proud of. And so then I really, really obsess on like making sure that never happens again. Mm-hmm. And so I get my house super rightly ordered and I put all the things in place and I make sure they're, they're oriented correctly and to make sure that that never happens again because mm-hmm. I do not trust me mm-hmm. and my ability that if I face to face with that that I could navigate it well so I have to set it all up perfectly and I and I so we look at those things we look at these like failed attempts and we see like I, it brings me joy because I just see how beautiful like we are as people like even when we're broken like our orientation is towards the good like even when we do all of these things that really imprison us uh, we're really trying to strive for freedom. Mm-hmm. And when you can understand that person's story and you give them the grace to walk back into that space where they did that shameful behavior that they feel so disappointed and they can go and they can like say like, whoa, like, hey, this like younger part of me was just yearning for love, mm-hmm. right? And I can go and I can like give him a hug and say, hey, hey, it's okay. Like I'm here with you now, mm-hmm. right? Or or we go back to that time when we just wanted dad to, to see us and affirm us and to love us, right? And we only just got that story of like, oh yeah, it's still not good enough. And I can go back in and I can say, hey, you did a really good job over here. Mm-hmm. And I can really feel that, right? Mm-hmm. I can really feel that security and I know and believe it that that obsessive that compulsive those reactions those attempts start to fade away because i feel more confident more courageous more compassionate and now i can really come to the father in a deeper way again here we kind of cycle right back into the spiritual life in such a beautiful way and allow the lord uh to love me in the ways that he's always wanted to but i haven't allowed him to because i've only been able to see it in this particular way that i need to please him or i don't like who i am and i need him to try to write that uh that wrong that i did but he can't do it if i'm not willing to Mm -hmm. and so we have to go to that place that even he's not able to go to if we don't let him go Uh, and then he comes with us and it's and and i get to go with them and uh oh it's so good Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so to talk about um you've mentioned it a couple times and it keeps like jumping out at me. I just want to like talk about it a little bit more. Sure. This reality that we can't trust our own experience or we can't yeah. trust ourselves. And so these yeah. things are happening, these whatever it is taking place, we're adapting like you, like you mentioned, it, the, who we are is beautiful and good mm-hmm. and we are made by love and for love, to yeah. love. And so that is the end and it and that's that's the goal, that's the goal for which we are made. That is what God has made us for. And so when you understand that and you begin to understand the truths of who we are as human beings, as God's as God's um, sons and daughters, when you understand that, you become less and less scandalized by sin, um, yeah. your own and those of others, because you can. It makes sense. We are made by love and for love. You have a huge capacity to love. Okay, well, you weren't actually formed and taught what it truly means to give and receive love from God, your Father, and so you seek it in your relationships with others. They disappoint you. They fail you. You readapt psychologically. There's wounds now and scars and all of these things. Okay, and you move to the next thing because you're you're ordered for this good. And for this means, and it's become so disordered and you haven't been a lot of times just you don't know any better or you haven't been told what what you're truly made for. And so you do all these stupid things Mm -hmm. to try to fill this void. It doesn't get filled. You fill it with other things, you know, that's the truth. So so the more you understand about that, 
the less you become scandalized by your sin and the sin of others, and the more things make sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So as a young person, you re- were raised in a home where, yeah, you keep talking about the father who maybe didn't affirm the child. So yeah, you, you're you made to love and to be loved, and you weren't feeling affirmed by that, so you adapt and you try to be affirmed. So, you know, now maybe you're doing stupid things to get attention or, you know, you know you're just not true yeah. to who you are. Yeah. Um, but going back to this reality of you get to a point in adulthood, perhaps, um, where all of a sudden things are so off kilter that you can't trust your own experience. Right. And what a, what a, uh, wow, what a horrifying place Awful. to live, isn't it? Yeah. Just a, a prison. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to turn it over to let you talk and then I'm going to go digging through. I have a quote of <laughs> Teresa Avila that's sure. so good um, that I, that she opens her, I think it's interior castle with, but um, just like if you can't be at home in your own house, where mm. are you at home at? Or how can you live in this life. And and that doesn't just mean your own home, although physically that's a reality. Like if you can't be at peace in your own home, then when you go out into the world, holy cow, right? Um, But the house of your soul too, we can look at that. If you can't be at peace in the own house of your soul, then all, wow, what what a prison, Yeah, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, talk about this can't trusting your own experience and and all of that. Yeah, well, I think a sign, so something that's kind of coming up is, kind of a sign of when this is happening. And I think especially within such a consumer consumer, um, society that we live in, if you're finding that you're continuing to go to uh to you know youtube or to relationships or to food or to gambling or to pornography or to any of these things to satisfy you and you find that the long there's a longing in your heart or these are dissatisfying that's usually a really really good sign that there is a there is a lack of that feeling of comfort within myself the home of my body and 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 god doesn't want you to you know feel that that disorder right he doesn't want you to feel that like offness but he does want you to long for goodness and greatness and so you find that you continue going to these things to feel good and then they're not and you're like i must be bad i must be broken there must be something wrong with me and what is reality is that we don't we don't get to hear his voice more clearly about how just he loves us um, because of all of these wounded attempts to well wounds that we've experienced and the attempts to try to deal with those um, over time i was thinking in particular about how you know had an experience in my life recently where especially i think a lot of it's come through the work that i've done with people um and seeing all of these beautiful people come to my office struggling with various things and them feeling so deeply ashamed and guilty and like feeling ugly and with within their bodies and i just see this beautiful dignity that exists like it's such a grace to be able to enter into these spaces with people and be like wow like you are beautiful and like really you know people are beautiful in their appearance in their spirit whatever it is but even that like as a as a child as an adolescent and then especially as an adult like that was really hard for me right like what was my whenever i thought about something that was beautiful maybe that would take me back to um when i might abuse others through sexual sin or something like that and so as an adult i was like oh if i find somebody beautiful that means i'm uh perverse and crooked and this Mm -hmm. is an issue and it was speaking about what you were speaking about earlier father about like oh i had a sexual sin thought just a thought just because i thought somebody was beautiful uh Father, set me free. This is what I'm coming to confession for. And you're like, you didn't actually act on that. Like, you didn't actually 
do anything negative with that. You just identified beauty. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's good. Like mm-hmm. that's okay, mm-hmm. right? That's welcome to the world that the Lord has created for you to be in when you can look at other people and find them beautiful, made mm-hmm. in his his image, right? Of mm-hmm. course they're beautiful or the world's and its beauty. And to feel like this growth and comfort, it's been so amazing uh, for me just to go from this like, oh, I got to turn my eyes to like, oh, yeah, they, that's just a really beautiful person. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Praise mm-hmm. God for that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that freedom mm-hmm. has been so, so amazing to experience in my own life. And, and that's, yeah, again, what I just love to try to walk with people mm-hmm. into experiencing as well, mm-hmm. to trust their experience, to have that courage, that curiosity, that compassion, that confidence. Yeah. Do you think that kind of goes back to what, <clears throat> Father, what I was saying earlier about, like, we are made in love, by love, and for love, and that is the end for which we are made in this eternal life. And 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 so all these things, you said, like, a lot, a lot of things, it's just how we failed, like, we learned by by what what not to do. Um, but even, like, recognizing this, this beauty, right? So... Um, yeah, we don't in our culture. We don't have the, it becomes so perverse and perverted mm. that we we miss the big idea, and then we can't enter fully into the freedom of of who they are. I kind of lost the question I was going to ask you, but um, I guess I was going to go back to like the the root of all the evil is we've we've lost sight of who we are, and we don't actually know like what it actually means mm. to receive this love from a father who is good, to know that we're made by love and for love and that that is the gift to enter into that um that that's that's the real evil of our time is that we just have no concept of that anymore and so we're we're doing all these different things that and we're trying to fill that void because we are made for that and we want we want that um but man it just becomes so i don't know perverted perverse is not the word i'm looking for but anyway it just becomes so distorted um but that reality i was touching on earlier of when you understand that you become less scandalized by that even by your own thoughts right mm-hmm. even by your own thoughts you become mm-hmm. less less scandalized by that like okay i had a thought that this is a beautiful person in front of me mind body and soul that is not a perverse thought that's it that's appreciating god for who he's at Amen. but our minds have been trained to either do one extreme or the other either mm-hmm. Everything the church is telling you is a, is inhibiting your freedom. Do what you want, when you want, with whoever you want, and forget mm-hmm. all the nonsense. Mm. Or the, the flip side of that, right? You can't look, don't see, don't open your eyes, don't recognize beauty, keep your nose to the ground, and, mm. you know, whatever. And mm. so we don't actually, we're not actually able to receive the love that God wants to give us because we have all these expectations of who we are and who God is and, and any of that. I don't know. Anything there for you to touch on? I affirm the truth of what you said. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was, I was just kind of, kind of captivated in the yeah, the last 10 minutes. Just, just yeah, listening just to listening. that. Taken, I was like, yeah, that's very good. Yeah, very good. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. This. You're recognizing <laughs> the beauty in it. You're yeah. like, yes. Recognizing I don't the have to do anything about it. Truth. <laughs> and I'm pondering it. Um, I found this quote. So this is St. Teresa of Avila mm. um, in the interior castle. Can there be any evil greater than that of being ill at ease in our own house? What hope can we have of finding rest outside of ourselves if we cannot be at rest within? If we don't obtain and have peace in our own house, we'll not find it outside. Let this war be ended. Through the blood shed for us, I ask those who have not begun to enter within themselves to do so, and those who have begun not to let the war make them turn back. 
Let them trust in the mercy of God and not at all in themselves. Mm. Mm. If we can't find rest inside, how can we expect to find it outside? And then she mentions, you know, if you've begun to enter within yourselves and are in this war, don't turn back because it is a war to enter interiorly. We've talked about this from a spiritual perspective. There's going to be things that happen. Dryness in prayer, you mentioned, Father. Um, it's not going to be an if. It's going to be a when if you're faithful to the life of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, psychologically speaking, there's going to be wounds, traumas, past hurts with yourself, with others that are going to come up as you navigate this, as you grow in this life of prayer. Um, and to know that God is a good Father who wants our good and wants ultimately us to be free from this, our passions to be rightly ordered, us to see good beauty and truth for what it is, to be drawn into this relationship with him in the fullness of what he wants to give us, right? We, yeah. When we can fully receive his love for how he wants to give us. And, and so we can't give up on this this war within. And, and God provides um, in beautiful ways for mm-hmm. us to journey with one another, to encourage one another on this path. Of course, spiritually speaking, we have the the lives of the great men and women, his friends who have gone before us, the lives of the saints, the writings of the saints. John and Teresa, John of the Cross and, and Teresa, we're on a first name basis, John and Teresa. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they, they write about this. And, and in their writings, they, they particularly say why they're writing this. Why is Teresa writing Interior Castle? Why is John going to the lengths he's writing to write Living Flame of Love or to write The Ascent, to write The Dark Knight, right? Because, because it's difficult to continue to advance on this path of perfection. Um, It's difficult to even begin the life of prayer, but many of us begin but can't advance, right? Because of these sticking points. And when we get to these sticking points, we don't know where to turn. It's really hard. It gets Mm -hmm. really ugly at times Mm -hmm. to navigate this, to work through this. And so if we don't have good guides, wise guides around us, either in the writings of the saints or good friends or a good confessor or a great therapists, you know, if we don't have these things, then we're likely to give up because it's that difficult. Sure. Like the, the, it's that difficult. And so they, they wrote, that was like what God was asking them to do, to write about this, to share this, to give us that hope. Okay. It's going to be okay. I'm not alone. This is apparently a normal thing. This happens. These thoughts are okay. And we're just going to keep navigating and, and pursuing this life of freedom mm-hmm. that he's calling us to and beckoning us to. Um, so yeah, so we have the writings of the saints who have gone before us. We have good friends who are walking with us, who are experiencing this, who are growing in their life of prayer as well, who can help encourage us and be like, yeah, I've been there. You know, I've been there a million times before. Yes. Or, or, or you know, have you, yeah, you're not alone in that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the church gives us good and holy priests, good confessors, right? And and these people that we can surround ourselves with to, to advance. And then psychologically speaking, we can go out, we can find these good counsels counselors. I mentioned at the very beginning, I didn't want to forget to ask about this. When we can't pray something away, mm. because that is, that's, we, we know God can heal. Okay. If you're listening to this, most people would say that. Yeah, I believe in God. I know he's the God of all. I believe he can do all things. I know he can heal me. Right. Mm-hmm. But why isn't he healing this obsessiveness I have about X, Y, Z? Why can't I just stop these thoughts? Why can't I just turn the brain off? Why can't he just help me turn the brain off, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why, why why, why, is it that he, I know he can do it. Why isn't he doing it type of thing? Um, but mm-hmm. just to recognize that God prefers to work and to heal us in what we would deem to be incredibly ordinary ways. Mm-hmm. He can work in the extraordinary and in the supernatural. He can knock you off the horse. He can heal you overnight. He can do these things. And sometimes he does. Sometimes we need that. But so often he he prefers, John writes about this extensively too, he prefers to work in these ordinary ways 
um, through people, through a good counselor, through a good confessor, through, you know, a good friend, whatever that might be, through ordinary writings of saints and men and women, ordinary people who have walked the lives before us. And why? Why does he prefer to work mm. in that way? And it comes with faith, right? Go back to Thomas meeting our resurrected Lord. You know, you said you wanted to see the wounds. You needed to see the wounds. You needed to put your hands and I'm going to meet you where you're at, Thomas. And here you go. But blessed are those who have not seen mm. and have believed. You know, when, when God heals us through these quote unquote ordinary means, what comes with that is faith and patience and perseverance. Um, and so, so yeah, John writes about that. His preferred method is this mm. method because it comes with that. It comes with that faith. Um, that that mm. clings us to him in greater and greater ways, right? Yeah. Um, so don't give up hope, and don't don't pretend, you know, don't kid yourself to think, oh, if I I prayed, I'm a person of prayer, and yet I still have these problems. If if they haven't magically gone away overnight, that's okay. Don't give up that hope of of maybe God wants to work through an instrument in an incredibly quote unquote ordinary means yeah. to grow you in this greater freedom, this greater love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you if you break your arm, mm -hmm. I've broken multiple arms mm -hmm. multiple times mm -hmm. you break your arm of course yeah you pray that you know god provides good healing for mm -hmm. that arm and then you go to the hospital and you get a cast put on it mm -hmm. that's what you do mm -hmm. you know when you uh are struggling with severe even mild moderate but like severe depression anxiety uh the whole host of uh other very serious uh psychological disorders you know pray that yeah, pray that God heals the way your mind is working as the as the schizophrenic person, and then go see someone about mm -hmm. it. And that's it's like putting the cast on the arm. Mm -hmm. It's like God works through ordinary means. There are people, men and good men and women, faithful men and women who are not out to destroy your faith or tell you to psycho to psychologize all your spiritual problems. There are good, holy, faithful men and women uh, who make a living being the ordinary means of God's help for people. And whether that means the uh, dopamine and serotonin in your brain is not working correctly. And sure. maybe that means, maybe that means getting on some medicine for a while. Sure. That's ordinary means, you sure. know, maybe it's issues in the marriage and your priest is only so competent to talk about marriage issues. Maybe, maybe that marriage counselor is right. the ordinary means that God uses to, to work in your marriage. Mm -hmm. And just because it doesn't work with one person does not mean that you give up any more than you go to confession once, uh, and you sin again 10 days later, we'll go to confession again. That's mm -hmm. that's why the sacrament's there, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so I think that's that's an extremely important thing that, you know, God made us uh, as a body-soul composite. Mm -hmm. And there are very physical, very ordinary, well, there are physical, ordinary uh, means in which our body works. Mm -hmm. You know, the brain is a physical, material thing. You know, it's not purely spiritual. On the same, on the same token, or on the other hand, you know, the, uh, the material components of the brain do not account for the entire interior experience of humanity, you know, and nor the extraordinary experience of humanity in the life of grace. And, mm -hmm. and so God gave us a body uh, that expresses the soul. It's not a soul trapped in a body. It's not a body that is, we do whatever at the expense of the soul, but a soul that is expressed in a material physical body. And there are, there is medicine for the soul in the sacraments. There is guidance for the soul in spiritual direction, and there is medicine for the body and soul in counseling, uh, psychology, psychiatric medicine, all those mm -hmm. kind of things. And these, these are all the ordinary ways that God works. And 
he can and does work with extraordinary means, it's a, it's for us to pursue the ordinary, mm. I think, primarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I yes. I thinking in particular, there's something I said earlier about like God doesn't desire for this like suffering, but sometimes you know he really he really permits it because he knows I'm I'm a pretty stubborn guy and I need to suffer because that emotion kind of thrusts me forward or could push me back mm-hmm. away from relation. He wants me in relation with him. He mm-hmm. wants me in relation with other people. He he knows that it's good for me, but he can really be scary. And, and anyone that's like listening to this today, like thinking about like, oh, but I'm scared to reach out to a counselor. Yeah, it's, it's a scary thing. Like people show up, they're like, man, I, I kind of feel nervous. And I was like, great. Like you, you've never met me before. If you said you felt confident about and excited about the idea of like bearing everything that you've ever done and being naked in front of me about this experience mm-hmm. and you've never met me, I mean, that might be a little bit of a problem, right? Mm-hmm. It's like nervousness is, is healthy. And like, how do I go to confession? How do I go to spiritual direction? Like that nervousness is good, but it's, it's, it's leaning into that faith, leaning in. And as you said with St. Teresa of Avila, which is such a beautiful quote, what seems like a contradiction, right? Like learning how to trust ourselves mm-hmm. by first learning to not trust ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. But to just be able to release those things that are imprisoning us. Look at the fruits, of what's happening as we're trusting ourselves. Is it good fruit, mm-hmm. right? Or is it not? Mm-hmm. And it's just seeing that experience. Saying like, trusting myself has led me here. And to truly learn how to trust myself requires some help. Mm-hmm. It sure does. Especially when I've wanted people to help and they've hurt me. When I looked in those deep formative years for that, for that uh, vicar of Christ in my life, which was my mom and my dad or whoever it was supposed to be, and they hurt me, and I learned not to trust people. It's to open it up, knowing that I'll be okay, having those resources and those people around me to walk me through and to better truly understand who I'm made to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm. <laughs> hmm. Okay, I'm looking at my notes. I, I was just <laughs> yeah. like jotting things down as we were talking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe just as a... Mm-hmm. Uh, a consolation to any, any listeners, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I say this kind of tongue in cheek, you know, I'm a cassock wearing Latin mass celebrating priest. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to be the guy who is over psychologizing spiritual problems, you know, mm-hmm. or vice versa, over spiritualizing psychological issues. But you see that they see the unity and those kind of things. So, yeah. uh, and I've made use of counseling in the past, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, yeah, throw it out there. Like mm-hmm. I struggle with mild, moderate depression. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes the anxiety comes with that. Sure. And you know, sometimes the uh, sometimes the walls are just closing in, and you're like, I can say for myself, it can be in situations where I'm just sort of trapped. There's no way out. It's never going to be happy again. It's always going to be like this. Uh, clearly, every terrible decision I've made throughout my entire life has led me to this point right here, mm-hmm. and we're just going downhill. And <laughs> I can say, all right, that's how I feel right now. That's what I'm thinking right now, and even just some helpful cognitive behavioral techniques. Okay, that's called catastrophizing. <laughs> that's called black and white thinking. I'm making a catastrophe out of something that is simply a mental state. Mm-hmm. It's like this, this is nothing more than circumstances matching up with uh, a brain that's not working perfectly correctly and a lot of concussions in the past. Mm-hmm. It's like that is all this is. Mm-hmm. I've been happy before, which mm-hmm. means I can be happy. I will be happy again, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, I can recognize that just because 
this situation is like this right now does not mean that it always will because it wasn't always, you know, and, and as soon as just kind of just some of those simple, helpful techniques, it's like, yeah, I know that that's intuitive. That's, that is, that is obvious, but having someone else to just tell me that and say like, okay, this situation actually was terrible. You're not crazy for thinking that was terrible, but that doesn't have to destroy you either, you know, and that could be a helpful thing just to, just to affirm, Hey, this particular situation I was in, uh, maybe this thing that happened at this one assignment, that was not my fault. And maybe that person actually just was that bad. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes things like that happen. Yeah. And just having someone to affirm that experience and, you know, yeah. maybe not affirm, maybe affirm the experience, but challenge you to say, but you're not looking at that correctly. It's like, yes. yes, this is what happened. This is how you experience. I affirm that. However, have you thought about it this way? Yeah. And having someone to kind of just walk through that for myself, having someone to walk with me through that uh, has helped tremendously yeah. as a priest you know mm. and you know i unfortunately like i see have seen an unfortunate number of brother priests who kind of wait until those walls are a little too close yeah. and before actually reaching out and uh talking to someone so yeah. yeah even priests religious you know you're not failing out of religious formation to get uh mental health assistance you know you're as a seminarian you're not failing out of seminary to go to a outside counseling be beside spiritual direction. And even as a priest, as, as anyone, you know, you're not, you're not failing the faith. You're not psychologizing spiritual problems, you know, when you're not, uh, you're not abandoning the tradition by making use of the resources that are available to us. And even in, in John of the cross, you know, he uses the, the language of 16th century Spain and a lot of the scholastic terminology, but he has a very astute understanding of the soul and that not every, malady is a spiritual malady because he talks about in the, in the dark night particularly he talks about signs that distinguish real spiritual uh growth and dryness and the darkness that comes from god inviting us to greater faith as opposed to the malaise that comes from what he would call melancholia which was sort of a mm -hmm. catch-all term for what we would probably say is like depression anxiety uh all those all those things that uh and even just like laziness if, if, if the will's involved you sure. know but like melancholia being the sort of catch-all term for that and so he distinguishes clearly between those who are simply suffering from a bout of melancholia and those who are actually undergoing you know major interior uh yeah. turmoil growth purification and you know that's the role of the spiritual director to be able to understand those kind of things yeah. while recognizing that maybe the physical things are the vehicle by which god purifies us yeah. and purges us and invites us to go back to those, uh, those places in the past that the purific, let's say the purification of the, of the memory may not just be something that just happens in prayer, divorced from the rest of the life. It might very well be someone from the past coming back into your life mm. and okay, I didn't confront this however long ago and now we got to deal with this. Mm. And you know, maybe that's the means by which God purifies the memory and purifies those places in the past. So yeah, so I just encourage everyone to, uh, see that this is, this is an all-encompassing integral view of the human person. And this is really where, uh, you know, the church in her wisdom looks to the best in modern advances in science, medicine, technology to not replace the faith, you know, not replace the spiritual life, not replace the priority of prayer, but to, to give us better tools to uh, enter into the life of prayer and the life of the soul and the life of virtue and ultimately to pursue holiness. Yeah. And heaven, ultimately. Yeah, Amen. ultimately for beatitude. That's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. mm. Mm. Oh, thanks, Father. Thanks for being so honest about that, too. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, you, you were mentioning um, Alex um, kind of leading into that about 
um, someone meeting with you for the first time or being frightened about reaching out for the first time, certainly, you know, going back to confession, if you've been away from the sacrament of confession for a long time, can be a terrifyingly and frightening experience. I've talked many about that in my podcast, certainly my experience making a return to the confession after many years of being away. Um, I noticed that in spiritual companionship, spiritual direction too with people, yeah. you know, um, people being very frightened uh, about reaching out to set up a meeting. Um, I am a terrifying person though, so I get that. That's a joke. Um, but you know, that that's the reality that you fight that, you fight that resistance to overcome that. Um, and that's okay. Like to recognize, like you mentioned with that, Alex, like that's actually probably an incredibly normal response. Yeah. Like um, confession, you know, we're going to talk about things that, you know, we're, where these ter- these things have happened that haven't been great. We're going to bring up wounds, yeah. Um, and with that too, the the meetings even in a even in a friendship thing. I've I've learned never to cancel or reschedule a first meeting <laughs> um, because that first time is like really like takes a lot of courage for someone to to like come in for that first time. And honestly, you'll look for any reason not to do it. So like the the, the I set up a confession and the priest couldn't do it that day, so I'm just not going to do it at all. Like like you have so much so much fear associated with that first time that I really try to avoid missing that. But anyway, I'm mentioning that to just mention to the listeners that that is a common experience in any of these facets and many of these realities to like that first time to go back. It's like with anything, like even as a child, you know, having fear of, get on that bike for the first time or whatever it is. Like once you do it and once you enter into it, the grace is there to continue. But sometimes we expect grace to show up before it, we actually need it. And <laughs> that goes back to trusting God too. Like, mm-hmm. so if you're fearful about reaching out for help, be it to a counselor psychologically, to a priest for confession, for somebody for spiritual direction, whatever it is, um, or even just calling up an old friend you haven't connected with in a while, like know that that's a normal that's totally healthy to, mm-hmm. to be experiencing that. Um, but I encourage you to really pray for the courage. Pray for that grace. Pray for that courage. In fact, I can remember early on in my return to the Lord, like that was the only thing I prayed for. Give me the courage to do what you're asking. Give me the courage. Like you realize how weak you are to just take these little baby teeny tiny steps, right? Give me the courage to enter into this invitation that yeah. you're, you're inviting me to. Um, I, I mentioned on the show notes on the last episode with, with Alex, I'll put them on here too, but those great resources that you mentioned of people who are looking to find information with you or um, good Catholic therapists. Could you mention those websites again then? Yeah, though? absolutely. Yeah. So um, so catholictherapists.com, you can just do a Google for it. Not Catholic counselors, Catholic therapists, although Catholic counselors is a great resource too. Mm-hmm. Um, but Catholic therapists, you'll find a directory of um, people and you just type in your zip code and you can see people who um, uphold what is true, good, and beautiful about our faith and get a little bio and get mm-hmm. you know, so a little of that first exposure to like mm-hmm. who this person might be which is really cool mm-hmm. um and also the catholic psychotherapy association so we're just a network of a bunch of uh, catholic providers that are doing our best to uh to help and we have a directory through there uh too which is uh it's just a great resource so either of those mm-hmm. or um feel free to contact me wherever you are and you're Mm -hmm. looking for someone and just my voice and hearing me today helps you to feel more secure uh, with me, feel free to reach out to me and I can help you to kind of walk in that Mm -hmm. path to find someone. Because that's really what's happening with this podcast Mm -hmm. today is people are feeling secure in us, Mm -hmm. in our voices, in Mm -hmm. the things that we're inviting them to do. Mm -hmm. So feel that security and then take that leap of faith. That's the only way. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the only way that the change can happen. Like, is to take that that little, that little bit, just to walk over that mm-hmm. threshold. It's scary, mm-hmm. but that's where that change will come about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, one of one of the emails I received recently was 
so honest and beautiful. Like when you say that you see the beauty of human dignity and it was just like, I am literally shaking and crying as I type this, but you can, you like, like just cause of that resistance to like reach out and talk yeah. about these things that I know I need to talk about what I haven't talked about in so long, you know, type sure. of a thing. Um, so ruawoods.com that's yeah. The, um, so rwps.org, I think, oh, okay. but just throw in, just yeah. throw in Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, you'll find that we are a two part in this, uh, um, uh, institution mm-hmm. where we have another part that develops a K through 12 theology of the body curriculum. Mm-hmm. They're wonderful. If you reach out to them, they'll point you in the mm-hmm. right direction. But mm-hmm. yeah, Ruah Woods, uh, psychological services, mm-hmm. and that's R U A H, uh, mm-hmm. which is Hebrew word for breath or spirit or mm-hmm. wind. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's all the same word, you know, like spiration is like the generation of the Holy Spirit. Spiration, mm-hmm. like breath yeah. is aspirate. There you go. You know, mm-hmm. you know wow. So it's I like did the not breath of God, that. the spirit of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. That's kind of a cool thing. A little Hebrew break for you. Yeah. yeah. And to yeah. bring it in though, to something that you talked about earlier, mm-hmm. Julie, you were talking about like, if you're having obsessions and stuff is mm-hmm. to take a pause and to take a breath. Mm-hmm. And really even that in of itself is like a type of prayer. It's like, mm-hmm. okay. I can't handle this. Mm-hmm. And so what happens when you breathe? You, you get oxygen, sure, but really the spirit kind of, you know, he comes in mm-hmm. and he gives you he gives you that gentleness and that reassurance. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I got you. Mm-hmm. Now we're all shoulder breathers. Be a belly breather. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Be a belly yeah, breather. Yeah, I had a couple of uh, couple book recommendations too. Sure, yeah. Just for, uh, I am not being paid to say this. <laughs> Disclaim that. Disclaimer. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a, a good intro to the sacrament of uh, reconciliation. There is a book kind of recently published called Pocket Guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation by fathers Josh Johnson and Mike Schmitz. And so people are probably familiar with them from Ascension Press, Ascension Presents on YouTube. They do a really great job. Just a great introduction to confession. Uh, there's a book called Spiritual Direction, A Guide for Sharing the Father's Love by fathers Thomas Acklin and Boniface Hicks. Mm. Uh, I don't know really much about Tom, Father Thomas Acklin, but I know Father Boniface Hicks Hicks is a, uh, I think he's a Benedictine at uh, St. Vincent Latrobe in yeah. Pennsylvania. And That's he's right. he's been on Mount Matt Frad, I think, and uh, a few other kind of popular Catholic YouTube channels. But mm-hmm. just kind of a good book that gives an introduction to what spiritual direction is, what it isn't, uh, who should go to spiritual direction, who should be a spiritual director. Different. And I think there are some case studies in it. There, there are some case studies as well of, hey, here's how this person, uh, things that this person might bring to spiritual direction. Here's how the director might go about dealing with that person. So just some really helpful things like that, a yeah. few different styles of direction. So just kind of a good contemporary overview to, uh, I think the best of the contemporary art of spiritual direction. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, just came out a couple years ago. It's called a Catholic guide to depression, mm-hmm. how the saints, mm-hmm. the sacraments and psychiatry can help you break its grip and find happiness again by Dr. Aaron Cariati or Cariati. I think Cariati. And Father John Syak, I think it's Monsignor John Syak actually, and Monsignor Syak did a uh, uh, some talks at our seminary for continuing formation last summer, and it was very they were very good. So I've met him in person, and yeah, he's not a priest who would over psychologize the spiritual life or overly spiritualize the psychological like the life of the mm-hmm. uh, of the mind. Yeah, you know, so. Uh, yeah, so a Catholic guide to depression, just a good good resource that kind of differentiates depression from the dark night, mm-hmm. uh, from like these these spiritual experiences of darkness mm-hmm. versus what just might be a bout of melancholia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I will that. I will include those uh, three titles as well in in the show notes too, so you can have easy access to those. Father, can I ask you a question? As like anybody who maybe um, 
like we talked about, you know, taking that first step to perhaps reach out to for some some professional psychological help along the way. What about people, though, in terms of like approaching a priest for confession or or doing that? Um, so, you know, maybe they've been away from the sacrament. Of course, you can go to just a parish's website to see like when is the sacrament of reconciliation offered in this particular parish or whatever and just make yourself get there when that happens. Um, but just from like a, from a perspective, like, is, is that something where somebody can like reach out to the parish office, get in touch with the priest, set up a time for confession if they've been away from it for a while? Or what do you recommend from a priestly perspective? For yeah. That? One could simply just Google confessions near me or oh, confession okay. times near me. Mm-hmm. And however that algorithm works, mm-hmm. it'll come up with local churches and you can look at the sacramental schedule on their website and mm-hmm. it'll tell you when their confessions are things like that you could always contact a parish office and ask to set up a time for confession you could always ask uh, a friend you know who you know maybe they're pretty involved in the life of the church ask uh, if there if there's a priest they know who might be a good confessor you know controversial opinion i don't think it should be controversial but my opinion if you look at a parish website take a look at how much confession time is offered and how much at Eucharistic adoration is offered. And if you see a parish that has a lot of adoration and a lot of confession, it's a parish that's going to really take that stuff seriously. Mm. And that could be a, a good place to, especially if you've been away from the sacrament for a while. If the, if the pastor is scheduling a lot of time for confession, it says that he really cares about his office as a confessor and uh, will care about you when you're mm-hmm. not. And obviously any confession is a good confession, you know, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, the most important part is being absolved, being back in the friendship of Christ uh, but yeah, but I just say that, that if, if the prayer life of the parish is good, you got, mm-hmm. I think that's reflected in adoration. And if that ministry of being a confessor is taken really seriously, uh, that'll be reflected in yeah. the hours that are offered at the mm-hmm. parish. And that might be a really good place to kind of get your feet back on the ground spiritually. Mm-hmm. And, and even, and even with, uh, you know, psychological things too, a lot of times the first person, person uh, the first person that a person <laughs> will talk to is a priest mm-hmm. that you know their their spiritual advisor whoever that might be mm-hmm. and and so uh priests wherever they might be usually have uh, a number of local counselors therapists in their back pocket to to recommend out so if you're unsure where to start in that regard too actually just talking to your local priest might mm-hmm. be really really helpful and a helpful place to start so mm-hmm. i know Alex Wallace is one of the people in my back pocket. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks, brother. Yeah. Mine too. That's why he's <laughs> so busy you, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. Yeah, we joked that when he was on the uh, show the first time, uh, October of 2021, I think. Anyway, he was just getting his practice going and just really beginning to get open. And now he's talk- he talked last episode of how, how busy he is now, right? Yeah. And and yeah, that's not, that's not to say because we're all... You know, we, we don't take these things lightly, but it's just That's like right. we, we're not made to journey alone. Right. We're not made to journey alone. Um, and mm-hmm. so we need we need that companionship. Um, yeah. And in a lot of different avenues. So that's what we were talking about today. Yeah. Well, All right. A weird side. Yeah. Pardon. Kind of burped there. <laughs> a, uh, a weird side thing. But uh, when it comes to the extraordinary, like someone say someone believes they're having mystical experiences, sure. like legit mystical experiences, visions, voices, things, locutions, things like mm-hmm. that, or encounters with the demonic, you mm-hmm. know, whether someone thinks they're really experiencing like demonic oppression, possession, things mm-hmm. like that influence in their life. Uh, talking to a good priest about that is a really helpful thing because there are obviously psychological and spiritual reasons why one might be experiencing those kind of things. Very mm-hmm. much so. And it could very well be legitimate spiritual experience and that's that's where 
you know, spiritual direction is going to be really, really helpful for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, you know, the church has mystics in her, in mm-hmm. her tradition mm-hmm. and having someone who is learned and virtuous and can walk with someone in humility, obedience, the things that the, the fruit that should be apparent, it's important to have a director for that kind of stuff. You talked about who needs a director. <laughs> if you're having visions, have a spiritual director and mm-hmm. probably have a priest, an older priest, an older wise, holy priest as a spiritual director. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they could also help distinguish, Hey, maybe have you ever considered just a little ha- talking to someone else about these mm-hmm. kind of things too? Cause there can be mental illnesses that manifest themselves in religious phenomenon, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. same kind of thing with, uh, we, we obviously the spiritual life is a battle, you know, our, our fights not against flesh and blood, uh, that influence temptation of the enemy, mm-hmm. his angels as a part of the spiritual life. Uh, it, that kind of experience can also be part of needing a little psychological help as well. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. and so having, whether a priest, a counselor, people you trust to be able to help distinguish those kind of things just as a, as an addendum, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. is, is very important. Yeah. Yeah. Is I'd that fair? Sp- is that fair to say? Yeah. yeah. I'd like to speak to it just a little bit. Uh, we, we support the archdiocese here, um, through the exorcism process because yeah. it, it's really important to try to rule out um, first, like getting a, a physical health background and looking at physical health um, potential ramifications or, or things that started this or could um, explain this away. And then you move, then the, somebody that's kind of moving through that process will then have a psychological battery and assessment to kind of explore maybe the sources of these things or of the manifestations of that until they then eventually kind of move into if those things are still happening, then the spiritual realm. So I really appreciate you kind of taking the time. Yeah. Talk crucifixes about are flying through your house <laughs> and they're flying through when I'm blessing your house. I'll call someone about that and we'll get that taken care of. Right. I wouldn't call your counselor about that. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> if someone's here, if someone, but if, you know, if someone has the experience of like, let's say just hear, hearing voices, whatever mm-hmm. that might be, mm-hmm. that's something to talk about, uh, you know, what the trusted priest, a trusted counselor mm-hmm. and kind of get to the bottom of, uh, you know, like ordinary means we mm-hmm. exhaust natural explanations right. before we go to supernatural explanations. Yes. And that's not unholy. That's part of being prudent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, John of the cross in his collected works, there's actually a case study in the back where he was sent a case study on a purported uh, nun who was having visions and locutions. And he basically, he does his discernment of the process and said, these are not legitimate. Basically, she's she's looking for attention. Like this Mm -hmm. this is not a legitimate spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. Same kind of thing. He was a known exorcist. And the number of cases he got versus the number of exorcisms he actually did is actually like pretty astounding. He was very, very prudent in looking for any natural explanation possible before uh, moving to the supernatural. And this is John of the Cross, you know, the the, yeah. uh, the mystical doctor of the Roman Church. You yeah. know, so like this this is not some some slouch who doesn't believe in the supernatural. You know, this right. is these are the doctors of the church, and they show great care, great caution yeah. uh, to exhaust every natural means or natural explanation for uh, supernatural phenomenon before. Uh, saying that this, yes, this is clearly supernatural and requires supernatural means. Yeah. And sometimes it is supernatural and sure. requires supernatural means. Yeah. When I think yeah. about that from like a psychological health perspective, I think it's just how important it is to make sure to delineate that because like if, if we, again, if we over-spiritualize it, we lose ourselves even more. Right. Right. So if we just like pray it away, you get an exorcism done, but really it, it's at your core. Uh, it's, it's just going to create maybe even more mental health problems, sure, more yeah. lies, more <laughs> things that you start to believe. 
Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that letter in his collected works because I was thinking that too. And John's, <laughs> that's like, like it's this little, little nugget at the end of the book that's just like, it's so good. Right. And what, what's really, really edifying about it too is this particular person, whoever this was, was, was really a lot of people were convinced that these were authentic, right. supernatural, mystical visions. Mm. Um, and so a lot, a lot of people were convinced of that. And they called John in to, and they go, John isn't like asking, like, you know, hey, let me let me weigh in on this. Like he was asked, and out of obedience, he went and entered into an eval of sorts um, to to discern. It was just like there were just some common factors that should have been present if it was right. really supernatural that weren't that everybody else was missing. It was like a like something magical was happening. Everybody was just really taken aback from whatever right. happened at the end of the day. And he's like, hold on now, <laughs> these mm-hmm. these authentic elements are missing if it really were to be a supernatural experience. I was thinking of that too. So just so much wisdom there. Um, yeah. Um, okay, hold on. I wrote a note on my crazy notes of wanting to ask you guys something. What was it? Oh, I know what it was going to be. So after we finished wrapping up the last episode, we talked about, too, you mentioned you have a component to help with that side of things, the supernatural and, and weighing that out, psychologically speaking. You mentioned, too, that, um, you know, uh, through the discernment process itself, when it, when a when a seminarian, for example, is, is discerning, you have a component to play in that as well. Yes? Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? We're talking about like the seminary candidate evaluations yeah. that we yeah. do? Yeah. 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 So one, of the, one of the things that I was speaking, thinking about earlier in particular was, uh, so we're blessed with the experience of receiving individuals who are discerning, um, yeah, entering into seminary or more appropriately who a diocese is discerning, receiving and putting into seminary for mm. formation. Mm. Um, and That's so, a good distinction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, and it's a great responsibility. It's one that we, we take very seriously. Um, and so we have a whole battery of tests that have been, um, there's a great psychological scientific evidence to kind of justify the use of these, uh, tools that we use and it's a whole like eight hour process that we'll receive individuals and we'll look at past um, things that they're aware of subconscious Mm -hmm. things a whole whole battery of stuff and when after people are done meeting with us we don't say whether they will continue in formation or not but we just kind of present all of our findings to the diocese or archdiocese and allow their bishop and vocations director to work in tandem in a discernment process with this information to determine if they have the tools, resources necessary to help this young man or in the cases of religious life, um, young women um, through the formation process as they continue Mm -hmm. um, in community or seminary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mental health issues are not a barrier to entering seminary Mm -hmm. or religious formation. Uh, often so long as like you said the tools and help is there within a diocese within a religious community to uh yeah make sure that sort of thing might be managed for someone so that they don't have a bad experience of formation as well or so that it doesn't hurt the community as -hmm. a whole but yeah but Mm -hmm. don't let that uh that's something to talk candidly about with uh with the vocation director vocation directress you know for a particular community particular diocese and uh yeah yeah, because we're discerning out like types of masking or response behaviors or like hiding behaviors. And we have a chance to kind of really do a deep dive and see things that someone might not be willing or desiring to come to the surface. And so one of the favorite things that we actually see is like when someone is in tune with the emotional woundedness that they have and can talk about, yeah, this is what I've got. This is how I've been navigated. Like one of my favorite questions to ask is, and I invite everyone to think about this, is how did growing up in my family impact my adult personality 
We don't often take a time to think about this. How did growing up in my family impact who I am today? Mm. And, and that information can be uh, super helpful at seeing like, oh, the way that I respond to this person totally makes sense now because of this connection that I've just now made. And I love to like walk through that in that evaluation process to see how insightful people are. Um, are they willing to go there? Mm-hmm. Is it, are they overprotective of family? What, you know, what happens right. in response? Docility is probably the most important thing in seminary formation. Like, are you open to being formed? Like yes. if, you, if you're going in to just keep your head down because you don't trust the church, you don't trust the diocese, we don't want you. Right. We do not want you. The church does not need you. Right. Uh, you're not the one to save the church. Yeah. We had one savior and we killed him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so there, there needs to be docility to formation. And that's why, you know, discerning the right religious community, like where's a place you feel comfortable being formed by this community? You know, do you feel comfortable being formed by this diocese? That's part, that's part of the, the pre-discernment, you know? Mm. And so, yeah, we, look, we don't, we don't need repressed guys who are looking to run away from the world. And so they run to the seminary. We need competent, sexually healthy men, yeah. you know, uh, mature spiritually, docile, open to being formed, humble, uh, and seeking holiness, uh, who can be spiritual fathers, you know, and if the Lord's calling them to that, and the same kind of thing in, in religious formation. Is this person going to build up the community? Uh, by doing so, are they going to help build up the whole church? You know, are they willing to be formed by the community? Are they going to be generous to that community uh, and allow that community to be generous to them, you know? And so there, there's a lot that goes into that. And when you're living in close quarters with people, those things are going to come out one way or another. And so, yeah, so the psychological portion is not to to root out uh, any, like some particular type of seminarian or religious candidate. The idea is, uh, is this person capable of entering well into formation? And if there are some issues, hey, these, this is gonna be part of formation, is being docile to addressing yeah. these issues. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's just good for the whole church. It yeah. builds up the Amen. whole church. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and even when people come to us for evaluations and then maybe the diocese says not right now, um, we have a review period with them where we bring them to us and we say these are really great things that you can start working on right now to address some of those wounds. And, 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 and whether you end up continuing or return back to formation or what have you, or uh, you pursue... Um, you know, marriage or something like that. Like the, the church still needs you. Right, exactly. <laughs> Deeply needs you as our body, in our body, as right. a member of our body. And addressing these wounds will help you to better be your, uh, to be a toe, to be a hand, to be a heart, whatever you are. To live that vocation well, whatever it is. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was just a brief little, like, caveat, I suppose, if you will, about perhaps those of you that might be listening who are discerning, like, what God is asking you to do with, with your own life, with your own vocation, be it priesthood, religious life, maybe a counselor yourself, therapy. Um, I don't know, maybe you feel called to, um, you know, be a spiritual director of, of some sort, but go back to what we talked about in the beginning and what we read about from the catechism there and that and quoting John, like no one's more equipped to do that than one who's already living a life of deep prayer and, and is experiencing that in a life of and growth in virtue and humility. So we, that's where you begin that, that discernment with that is, is growing in your own life of prayer and experience. But um, certainly be open to that. If, if people have questions about vocational discernment in terms of priesthood and religious life, where would you recommend that they, they go, Father? We'll start with the vocation director for your diocese. Uh-huh. You'll figure out what diocese you're in and look at their website. There, sure. There's probably a vocations portal. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, start with the vocations director because the, mm-hmm. the vocation director is not interested in putting you in a place where you're going to be unhappy Sure. and is not interested in bringing an unhappy person into the diocese mm-hmm. or religious order. So they're, they're 
vocation within a vocation mm-hmm. is to, to help young men and women, you know, find where the Lord's leading them. And, mm-hmm. and oftentimes it's, you know, presenting, Hey, here are the, here are the, here are the, here's the plethora of options where the Lord may be leading you, you know, how, uh, let's start visiting, you know, let's mm-hmm. start visiting some places. So mm-hmm. reaching out to a vocation director is a non-committal kind of thing. Like you're not, you're not signing up. You're yes, just, you're right. just exploring. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the discernment. You right. take the next step. You, you ask, what about somebody who's maybe feeling that nudge on their heart of like considering therapy or counseling as a, as a profession? What do you, yeah. So I would that? say, um, maybe find, um, someone that you feel like sounds interesting. Maybe you heard them from a podcast. Maybe you, you know, you see the a profile they have. Maybe you've heard from someone who says, Hey, I really like my uh, counselor. I think they're mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be an opportunity. You could reach out. We've all committed with our licenses to try to give back to the community and being mentors is definitely one way in which we desire to do that. Um, also you could reach out to a school and know that, uh, maybe a local school, there's Catholic schools. So for particularly looking for a Catholic based, uh, program, you can find those by just kind of Googling Catholic counseling formation programs or education programs. Um, that could be valuable. Um, so there's a, there's a bunch of different ways. Google's made life well, but that word of mouth, um, is all the, I think sometimes all the better, just helping to feel that security and that vettedness, um, mm-hmm. can be a really good way. And, mm-hmm. and again, self selfishly or selflessly, I don't either way you want to say it, feel free just to reach out to me. I would love to give back to anyone mm-hmm. that's interested in exploring this and trying to determine whether they want to be a good colleague for me mm-hmm. and, and just help the world to mm-hmm. be more free. That's awesome. Always, 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 listeners, you know this. I hope you know this anyway, but always feel free to reach out to me directly too if you have questions about any of this. I do not have all the answers. You do know that for sure. I know that. Um, But I can help navigate and point you to the right direction. And that's what I'm always in amazement of how the Lord is at work in my life because I don't know anything. And I tell him that every single day. And yet he keeps connecting me with people who know. And so like in a very real way, that's all I am is, hey, I don't know this, but I know someone who can help you. And here's this someone that can help you. So I'm kind of like Google, I think. No, I'm not. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so please always. You're better than Google. (laughs) You actually have a heart. Ah, yes. That's good. I know. That's good. It seems like a good thing. Um, so always feel free to reach out to me too. Um, the website, theworldisnoisy.com. You can contact me through that. Uh, journeysrevealed.com, which is about to just get a huge makeover, guys. Like I'm officially announcing that. Actually, by the time this airs, it should be new and improved and have a new makeover. Nice. Journeysrevealed.com. So check us out there. Or contact us through that if you have any questions. Well, on um, the priest side of things too, I forgot to yeah. mention, uh, if you know a priest that you think, Hey, this is a holy guy. This is mm-hmm. a guy who prays. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you, if you know an edifying priest, don't hesitate to reach out for spiritual direction, mm-hmm. you know, like seriously, like I think people get the idea like, Oh, you know, father's so busy. He doesn't want to, oh, do they absolutely do. if you give a priest the opportunity to do spiritual direction, instead of going to some extra meeting, he's probably going to jump on that. <laughs> you know, the things, the things we are supposed to be busy with is the life of the soul. First mm-hmm. and foremost, you know, sure. before, like, obviously there's a sense of governing and, uh, administering the, administrating with the goods of the of the mm-hmm. church you know being a good mm-hmm. steward of the goods of the church but that's re- kind of secondary to to the life of the soul so don't hesitate to reach out to a to a priest you trust or who you you think hey i'd, I'd like to learn something about the life of prayer even just meeting once mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. uh and if he just doesn't have time or if he doesn't feel capable uh i'm sure he'd have a good recommendation for you too mm-hmm. so oh yeah yeah don't yeah. hesitate 
for that. Oh, that's definitely a fear for a lot of people. Um, that yeah, I don't want to bother my priest. He's so busy. Right. Um, type of a thing. But um, make me busy with more fun things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Please. Matters. Please. Pre- yeah. We always have time for matters of the soul. I said that in this office the other day. Um, you know, we are we are very busy and have a lot of things going on and. Had, had a friend say that same thing to me. You know, I don't want to bother you. You're so busy. And it was, no, I always have time for matters of the soul. Like everything else takes a pause, right? I can check an email later. I always have time for matters of the soul. So I, a good and holy priest will have that same opinion, I assume. Yes. 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 He's nodding his I'd head. Like yes. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. I would hope so. Yes. Hope so. Yes. Wow. So, um, yeah. Wow. Okay. So we're, we're almost close to two hours okay. in or an hour and 45 minutes in. Praise so, God. yeah. <laughs> so it is time to pray and wrap this up. And again, thank you for tuning in. And, um, thanks both of you for being back. Thank you. Week. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. This thank was fun. You. Hopefully this won't be the last time. Yeah. Come up with more holy, good and holy endeavors. The Lord sure. to fill us in. So I'm going to have Father Jedediah close us in prayer, if you don't mind. Great. And again, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Right. See you next time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we come before you, uh, recognizing that we are uh, your sons and daughters uh, in need of healing, in need of purification. We ask you to, to be with us as we pursue those avenues that you've placed in our lives, whether that be... Uh, returning to the sacrament of reconciliation, uh, pursuing spiritual direction, receiving psychological counseling. Uh, We ask you to put good and holy counselors, good and holy priests, good and holy directors in our lives uh, to help uh, be those means of healing that you desire for us so that we can be holier, happier, and uh, live our vocations faithfully for your glory, uh, for our own salvation, for the good of your holy church. And uh, we commend ourselves to the prayers and intercessions of St. John of the Cross, of St. Teresa of Jesus, Uh, and all uh, the great saints of our history, especially our Blessed Mother. And we make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.